what I'm about to say. Hey. I thought you were starting. Oh. <laughs> hey, this is Shelby. And this is Courtney. And thanks for joining us today on All Things Macabre. Here on All Things Macabre, we discuss all the things under the topic of odd, weird, true crime, supernatural, and fiction. This podcast contains language and content that is not suitable for all listeners, so listener discretion is advised. If you find a topic we are discussing interesting, we encourage you to do some research on your own. You never know what you may learn. We are just a couple of old friends telling each other stories that we find interesting. And hoping that you'll enjoy and laugh along with us. Through some stories that are weird, true, or fictional that will just make you say, what the fuck? And now, for the fun part. Hey, Macabre Mob, it's Shelby. It's Courtney. And I don't know where we're going after that. we're off to a great start we are off to a great start oh well i mean i guess we're just gonna start off with this little just tangent because well first of all i feel like i haven't seen you in like five months even though i've seen you like was it last week about a week and a half ago two weeks ago two weeks ago okay yeah but i just feel like i haven't seen you well you haven't been all there. <laughs> facts. Big facts. <laughs> have you been feeling? I'm better. I can drive now. I can ride in the car now. Um, I feel like, you know, that's a big step. It sounds like small things, but it's major things because one small step for man, one huge <laughs> giant leap for Courtney. Yeah, yes, all of that. <laughs> Let's see, what else can I do? Shower. I can shower now. Instead of bath. Yeah, take, yeah I yeah, promise it, I've been bathing, <laughs> but you know, like taking a shower, it's just being independent again because I didn't realize all the things that I couldn't do until I couldn't do them anymore. And then I feel like just a kid again, having to be solely dependent on everybody. And I hate it because, of course, they don't know me, but you know me. Yeah. And I'm very, with a capital V, very independent <laughs> and I, I i don't like it i know you don't i know it's been driving you insane you want to get back to your normal thing yes normalcy which i mean i have an appointment in like a couple of weeks so i'll get my first checkup and so we'll see what's gonna happen but i'm hoping i can finally get like the all clear to live on my own again and can be myself again I know that'd feel nice. It really would. <laughs> it'd be nice for you to come down and record at my place again. I'm getting tired <laughs> of driving. <laughs> that, part of that's though, I've been a little sick myself since the last time I saw you. I was gonna say you sound. Yeah, sorry about that. I'm a little nasally. Nasally. Uh, as soon as I left, I started realizing that I didn't feel a hundred percent in my throat and my chest. So I think I got bronchitis. It's been real fun. 
Uh, actually, last Monday while I was welding, I did the toilet paper up the nose thing. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got that welding hood on most of the time, so people don't see me. But every time I would lift it up, if someone was looking at me, I'd get a hell of a look. <laughs> it was That's pretty funny. I, was just about to say. I can imagine, like, you lifted it up and then, like, there's a big, like, you know, walrus-looking teeth sticking out your nose because you got toilet That's kind of how I felt. But at the same time, I was like, oh, God, I hope a spark doesn't catch this toilet paper and set my nose on fire. <laughs> And then I was having to breathe through my mouth, obviously, at that time. And I wasn't thinking about the sparks coming up into my helmet and into my mouth. I was like, oh, God, if a spark hits my throat, I'm fucking done today. I didn't even <laughs> think about that until you just said that. I don't know why I just think that it just covers everything. No. It, it'll it shoot up around the top of the helmet, into the helmet, and down under it and stuff. Great. It's, it's not too bad, though. I haven't been burned on my face. It just, yep. you know, flickered yet. Yeah, just flickers out real quick, but I mean, I guess it could happen. I mean, what if your hair caught on fire? Uh, actually, that is very likely. It only takes a little spark. And I actually just gave a girl a welder's cap to wear so she could protect her hair. But yeah, um, it is possible. <laughs> oh, that's why we have welder's caps and bandanas and stuff. To put, oh, yeah. I'm following now. Okay. Yeah, we ain't just trying to look cool. <laughs> I mean, I just thought it was a fashion statement. No, I'm kidding. No, I, I'm <laughs> <laughs> the hats are actually a little dorky. <laughs> have you seen them? I'll have to wear one next time. I think I've seen them, but not with you wearing them. I'll have to wear one. It looks a little dorky on me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of looking for Sorry. That was my cat. Special I'm... appearance. Knocking the box over. Got some boxes. <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing that because... I th- <laughs> I look forward to an excuse to make fun of you. Well, that's why I always make the easy fun of you. I was going to say, you always make fun of me, so I don't even act like you don't. It's it's a little too easy sometimes, though. Shut up. Hell, it it took five seconds of seeing you today before you knocked your head into the side of the car. Oh, my God. (laughs) And now I get to talk about how you need a helmet. (laughs) Yeah, you make it a little easy sometimes. How that you brought that up, I did. I wasn't paying any attention. I was like, "Oh, I was gonna get in the car," and I hit my head right where my like incision and everything is. Where I have like this huge knot there. Anyway, I told you put your hand on the car next time. Every time, and I'm gonna do like this whole like you know, yeah. Of course, the matrix. Yes, y'all can't see it. She just did like this whole matrix thing in her chair. You gotta do the noise too. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway. uh, oh, I got together. Anyway, um, yeah, now I'm kind of being on the watch for, you know, just some sudden random thing to happen and be like, oh, yeah, that's because I decided to smack my brains out today. <laughs> well. Yeah, you'll get better with it. I, was I told you, a couple more good smacks, you'll learn. <laughs> I was say, there you go. I was waiting on some smart-ass <laughs> reply to come out of your mouth. <laughs> so um, what are we talking about today? Because, you know, since I'm still recovering, I can't... Well, yeah, I know you've still been trying to struggle being able to sit up and do your research and stuff. If I could stay awake... That's the issue. Yeah, I know. You've had a rough couple of days right after the last time we hung yes, out. I took a... That, that was that was a struggle. Yeah, that, 
that was finally coming down from the high of getting out of the hospital and the surgery really setting in. So yeah. that, that got you for a good week almost. Yeah. So the only piece that I can get is lying down, which leads to naps, which is why I'd never get anything done. But, you know. but that's all right. I squeezed in a little bit of research this week and we've got some more good suggestions from Jamie. Oh, did we? We did. I'll uh, go through them with you later. One of them, Sawny Bean, which at first I was like, I know that name. And then I got to thinking about it. That's the uh, guy that the real Hills Have Eyes were, was supposedly based off of. Oh, okay. I was yeah. like, that name's so, so that, that so might be an interesting to look into. And he also mentioned Elizabeth Bathory. Oh. Yeah, I knew you'd like that oh. one. I thought you might want to take that one over. Oh, boy. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's some big shoes to fill. Yeah. And we also had uh, another girl I work with, Kat, suggested Willie Picton, the uh, Canadian yes. big farmer guy. Yes. Yeah. I almost vomited in my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. Uh, I know that story very well and I hate him. There's definitely some good suggestions for getting They're out great there. suggestions. Yes. yes. So, so, yes. I, yes. I can't say that I'll do Willie, but I. <laughs> I actually started it. looking up into him a little bit, trying to think about doing it. So, He's I, like I might get the Canadian version of the Bondurant twins. A little bit. A little bit. But uh, today. It's not going to be quite as dark, but it's still pretty dark. It's going to be on Elizabeth Jane Cochran, better known as Nellie Bly. You ever heard of Nellie Bly? I know earlier you said not really. I didn't until you said the other name, and I'm like, oh. Nellie Bly? No. Elizabeth Jane Cochran? Yes. Okay. That for so, that's ringing. What, bell. what bell does that ring? I'm still trying to figure that out. You know, post brain surgery, I can't remember shit. But <laughs> <laughs> I'll fill you in whenever it you know comes back around. Okay, the wheels are turning, but I don't have any information yet. Well, we'll start off like this then. Uh, she was born May 5th, 1864, in Cochran's Mills. That's now part of Bureau Township in Armstrong County, Pennsylvania. They they live right outside of like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay, because I was gonna uh, say this like yeah. small town. Yeah, it kind of. Uh, her father, Michael Cochran, was actually a laborer and mill worker, and he ended up buying the local mill and most of the land surrounding. So, oh, yeah, okay. He he became a merchant, a postmaster, and associate justice at Cochran's Mills. It was named after him. So, oh, yeah. okay, okay, so he was. Yeah, like, okay. I was. I'm. I'm following because I was like Cochran. That yes, that, Cochran's uh, Mills. That's the last name. So yeah, Daddy had you know all this stuff. All he the was. All the uh, he was like uh, peace justice. Justice of the peace. Yes, justice of the peace. <laughs> He was Justice of the Peace and uh, all this other stuff. Everyone just basically considered him, like, judge and stuff, yeah. you know, so. Okay. Yeah. So this has to be tiny, tiny for all this stuff. Well, uh, he was big in the town. Yeah, it was small, but it, he was, you know, it was his town, you know. Okay. Yeah. He was married twice. Okay. Yeah. He had ten children with his first wife. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't... I was just like 10 total, and he said no with the first wife. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, 10 children with his first wife, which was Catherine Murphy. I feel really bad for her. That's one after another, man. Oh, mercy. And then five more children with Mary Jane Kennedy. So this man has 15 kids total. 15 kids. 15 kids. And Elizabeth was actually the 13th of the kids. Jeez Louise. 15. 
I, but she was the third of the the second wife. The second wives, yeah. Okay, so she was kind of like the middle child on the second wife's end. Yeah, but she was but one like of the youngest, youngest of the, oh, all total. of them. And okay. I, I want to say only thirteen of them survived in total, but don't quote me on that. Oh, I also have to think about that too. They yeah, had this more this kids was back then. then because but you also have to remember that he was a little higher up, a little more prestigious, so he got taken care of a little bit better. His kids were. I, I want to say it was thirteen of them survived. Okay, that's not that bad odds. No, it's really, really not. Considering that um, time frame, that's- however. He ended up dying in uh, 1870 whenever she was only like six years old. Oh, wow. He was about 60 at the time. He didn't have a will, which ended up leaving all of his stuff divided into one-thirds being to his widow and the other two-thirds being divided out between his kids, which between 13 kids, that's it's not that not much. That much. I, I can't remember exactly what it ended up being. But I want to say it was close to like $80,000 in today's money. Like the equivalent. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a good Her little child. child. I want to say so. But it may have been all together. I still just can't get over the fact that you're this prestigious. You have all this. Like you have a whole ass town name after you. And you don't and have you your don't wheel have together. Wheel? Yeah. I know. Excuse me, what? <laughs> I know. But uh, at this time, you know, it was really common for the people around the town, especially the women and girls, to wear, like, really drab colors, like browns and grays and black. And you can't draw attention to yourself. Yeah. Well, she used to be called Pink because she was a really vibrant young girl, and she was energetic, and she wanted to wear pink. And... Her mom was like, hell yeah. Like, you, Fuck the system. <laughs> you want to be like this? Hell yeah, I'm going to support that. So she would dress her in these nice pink dresses and lace and, you know, all the nice stuff. I bet she had the, what is those little, um, like those little lace umbrellas? I can't think what they're Oh, called. I can't remember. What they're Like the sun umbrella yes. things? Yeah, That's, I don't remember what they're called, but... Uh, it starts with a P, and I can't think what it's called. Uh, parasol? Parasol? I was like, parasol, parcels? Parasol? Par- 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 Parasol, I think. Let, let us know how dumb we are. Go ahead. <laughs> we'll, we'll take the criticism. <laughs> so her mother, she's got a lot of kids on her plate yeah. to take care of, and he just died. So he, she got remarried. Do you know how what the age difference was between her and him? I do not. Because he was at 60? Yeah, he was about 60. Okay, so I'm wondering, like, if she was, like, probably, like, mid to late 50s or ish. I would imagine so, especially being his second wife. I feel like he would go younger. Mm-hmm. But she may be in her 40s. Who knows? I am assuming, and I have no proof on that. True. So I'm not going to say too much more because you know how assuming works out. It makes an ass out of you and me. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but her mother ended up remarrying, and I really don't blame her. I don't either. But she ended up marrying a violent drunk, and it, oh, wow. it just didn't work out. Like, he was really abusive. Uh, he was mentally, emotionally, physically abusive. Been there, done that. Yeah, so even back in this time, in the late 1800s, she finally she said, fuck. After, I believe, five years, I'm filing divorce. Good for her. Yeah. And, uh... At 14 years old, Nellie actually had to get on the stand and testify about it. And she was actually pretty witty about it, too. But, yeah, she had to testify, and uh, that's whenever she decided herself that, well, you just really can't rely on a man, you know? Facts. 
So big fat. I'm gonna do my own thing. Yes, I'm gonna ma'am. make my own name. I'm not gonna just go off and get married and be a housewife. I'm yes, not ma'am. gonna do that shit. Good for her. So yeah, she is one of the ones leading the way for women. And thank you very much, Nelly. Yeah, I guess you. <laughs> a lot of people don't know about her. Wow. Okay. I mad respect. So you got to remember, this is in 1800s, late 1800s, almost 1900. I want to say 1885 ish or so. Okay. So this is whenever women have their certain roles. Yes. And it's barefoot and pregnant. Shut the fuck up. Yes. You do as your husband says, and that's it. Cue my eye rolling. You are to take care of your husband while he's home and take care of the house and the kids and do nothing else. Your life is supposed to be nothing but misery and taking care of people. Mm. So. I'll keep my mouth shut. (laughs) Again, she doesn't like this. Women were allowed to work at this time. I don't know if you know that. Okay. But they were allowed to work at this time. However, it was usually women who were unmarried. And these jobs were only meant to be temporary. So that's actually the reason that the pay was lower for women for the same jobs. Because they they were hired for the jobs that didn't require as much skill. So they didn't have to pay them as much. Plus, being that they weren't going to stay there, why are they going to pay them as much as the other people? I mean, they still do that to this day with temp jobs. I was going to say, I did not know that. But now that makes so much sense. Yes. So this is where the the wage gap started between men and women. Okay, I'm connecting the dots now. Yes. Okay. Wow. Okay. But you also got to remember where her mindset is and how she feels. Oh, I yeah, I feel that. Yeah. Well, I think we all do. <laughs> <laughs> so she became a teenager. She wanted to seem more sophisticated. So she dropped the nickname. She said, "I ain't gonna go by Pink anymore." And she changed her last name, which was Cochran, C-O-C-H-R-A-N, mm-hmm. to Cochran with an E. Cochran. C-O-C-H-R-A-N-E. Okay. So she put a whole ass E on the end of her name just to make it look a little fancier. <laughs> I get it. I feel that. Uh, you know, and I guess it looks a little fancier, but okay. <laughs> In 1879, about 15 years old, she went to Indiana Normal School, which is now known as Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Okay. She only went for about a term. She ended up running out of money. Uh, She went to become a teacher. She really wanted to become a teacher. She enjoyed teaching. She enjoyed learning. She was really smart. However, whenever she ran out of the money to be able to go, she... Actually couldn't even afford the bus ticket back home, but I believe it was the boarding house mom or someone gave her the fare. And yeah, she ended up getting back home. So she had to drop out of school. That's unfortunate. It is very unfortunate. And whenever she went back to her mom's, they ended up moving to Allegheny City, which was later annexed by the city of Pittsburgh. So right there towards Pittsburgh. Okay, so almost right in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's where she helped her mom run a boarding house. So she was cleaning, taking care of kids. All the things that she All the things that she doesn't want to do. So at this point, she's just fucking miserable, right? So while she's in Pittsburgh, she runs across a newspaper column titled, you ready for this? What girls are good for? Oh my, oh. Yeah. Okay. That was in the Pittsburgh Dispatch, which, of course, basically said that girls were pretty much just for birthing children and keeping house, which it pissed her off as much as I see it on your face, (laughs) if not more. (laughs) Oh. She 
She's one of our leading feminists here. That struck a chord. <laughs> she, it struck a chord for her. So she decided, all right, fuck this. I'm going to write this guy a letter and let her know how things really are. Yes, ma'am. So she did with the pseudonym Lonely Orphan Girl. Okay. This dude, George Madden, the editor, he was so fucking impressed. He was like, oh my God, we got to run an ad in the paper. We got to figure out who this is. Like, she's phenomenal with her writing. Like, I want to know. She was so passionate about everything, which I know you already know. She was talking straight from her heart anyway. Oh, you know sure. she was passionate. She she didn't want to grow up and have to rely on some man. Facts. So she wasn't going to take any of this shit. So finally, she ended up going and identifying herself to him. And he offered her a job to write a piece in the paper under the name Lonely Orphan Girl. Okay. She did, of course. And her first article was The Girl Puzzle, which argued that not all women would marry and women needed better jobs. Big facts. Yeah, so her her first thing in a big paper really was women's rights. Okay. Already, so you know she's already making some waves. Yes, yeah, yeah, for sure. So her second article was Mad Marriages. It was about how divorce laws affected women and needed to be reformed. So again, you know, a guy says, my wife is crazy. It doesn't matter what happens. They're going to listen to him. Of course. So off she goes. Cough, cough. They still sometimes do that today. (laughs) They do. So at this time, the editor decided that she needed a new name to, you know, go by something a little more catchy and at the time, there was a song called Nellie Bly by Stephen Foster. It's a really catchy song. The dude was actually from Pittsburgh, the songwriter. So he suggested Nellie Bly, which was actually spelled N-E-L-L-Y-B-L-Y. But somehow in the haste of writing it down, he misspelled it N-E-L-L-I-E-B-L-Y. And it just stuck. Okay. You know, they couldn't go through and spell check it or anything, I guess. Right. So... Yeah, it just stuck. So Nellie Bly became her name. And, of course, you know, at that time, especially for women, it was customary to have a pen name. Yes. So with the way this was going, she was actually offered a full-time job. And her early work focused on the lives of working women with investigative articles on women factory workers. Okay. Still an interesting thing today. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, Once some of the factory owners started complaining to the newspaper, saying that, hey, she's talking about all this shit that's going on in here and exposing us, we don't fucking like it. They were like, all right, well, we're going to have to reassign you to cover, like, fashion and women in society and gardening and... You know, all the women pages that the women always have. Yet, even though she was hired originally because she was starting to speak her mind. Because she was something different. Yes. And, you know, we don't like people that they're different. Yes. And she was only like 21 at this time. You go, girl. Yes. And she was determined to make a difference and do something no girl has done before. I love this. Yes. So she traveled to Mexico as a foreign correspondent. Wow. Yeah. For nearly half a year reporting on the lives and customs of Mexican people, which was later published in a book called Six Months in Mexico. Okay. Yeah. And wow, this was really her first taste of diving in to get information, like really getting into the investigative report side of it. 
So, of course, she uncovered a lot of stuff that she didn't necessarily like. She thought that the Mexican government was constricting their people and not allowing a lot of, really, freedoms to go on, and they weren't allowed to talk about the things going on. Okay. So, what does the Mexican government do? To her? Kick her out, I'm sure. Yeah, they they said, we're going to fucking arrest you. (sighs) Yeah, so... They said, we don't like you poking your nose around here and exposing us on our shit and our corruption in our government, so get the fuck out of here. We're arresting you. She decided, fuck this, I'm out. She went back to Pittsburgh. <laughs> too. You know, <laughs> she went right back. She she wasn't going to deal with it. Sorry, the cat. I was going to say, I'm sorry out. if you guys can hear any background noise. My cats are deciding to be a bunch of heathens at this moment, so I sincerely apologize. So she made it back to Pittsburgh and back at the Pittsburgh Dispatch where she was doing those articles that she hated doing. And in 1887, she said, you know what? I'm going to New York City. I'm just going to go. And she like left a note on the desk. I don't remember exactly what it said, but basically, I'm going to New York City. Wish me luck or look for me or something. Like and she was out. That's how she tipped. <laughs> That's one hell of a two weeks notice. It really is. (laughs) So she dipped, and of course she's going, trying to find some kind of editor to even consider hiring a woman. It's not working out. It's just not fucking working. So for four months, she keeps going and going and going and trying to find someone. And finally, she talked her way into the office of Joseph Pulitzer's newspaper. Uh, he had the New York world and somehow or another, she doesn't even know how she talked herself into there, but she talked herself into there and she said that she was willing to go into a hot air balloon to do an assignment and all this other stuff. And they were like, eh, oh, we can get a man to do it whatever. Da, 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 da. And she just wasn't giving up. She was like, no, I really want to do something here. And they were like, well, all right, we're, we're going to put you on a retainer and give us a couple days to think about it and come back. About a month later, they came up with something, finally. It took them a whole last month. Yeah, it took them, like, a whole last month. But they came up with, we want you to go undercover to Blackwell Island's insane asylum and report back to the conditions the people are treated in. Holy shit. So what do you think she said? Yes. Yeah, let's fucking do it. So he was like, you know, we we can talk to uh, doctors to get a doctor to say that you're insane to get you committed. She's like, no. No, I want to do this the right way. I want to go get myself committed. So she had this whole plan to get herself committed to the asylum. So let's talk a little bit about asylums back in this time. (laughs) This ain't nothing like the mental institutions today. I've been to a mental hospital. I've been to two. And the first one really turned me away from ever wanting help. I ain't gonna lie. I ain't gonna lie. It was really rough. Uh, They tried to give me an extra pill in my medicine one time. And whenever I called it out to them, they were nearly forcibly taking me to, or making me take it. And I was not having it. Finally, they ended up realizing they gave me two of one pill. Oh my God. So there was that. And then there was another time. I don't even remember what happened, but I know me and one of the other patients were just sitting there and the nurses got real upset and they all stood up and like were starting to rush out at us. And man, it it was real fucked up. I don't, I don't really understand what was going on there, but it was real fucked up. But I went to another place up in Nashville 
And it was fantastic. I learned a whole lot. I really learned a lot about myself. It, it, it really changed everything. It, it's the therapy you need. Yes. They care about you. They try to get to know you. They try to personalize treatment for you. As it should be. They have perfect programs there that act, that actually help. And I was in there with some people that really needed to stay in there for a while. But even in the short week I was there, I could see some improvement in some people. It, it was nice. So that's mental hospitals now. It's taken many, many, many years to get there. Yes. Yes, it has. <laughs> I, I think I said this the last time we recorded, but I sometimes wish that we were doing video because I know the look that I was giving <laughs> you was what? <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, me as a mental health professional, just hearing you experience that, I, one, am sorry because I'm just like, what the fuck were y'all doing? Because... Oh, that's the thing. It's... Uh, the management in some of these places. And I get that. I definitely get that. Which, I mean... Because I had two totally different experiences in two totally different places. Which so, I'm glad the second time was better. Yes, I am too. Because now I'm an advocate for it instead of saying, oh, no, it don't work. But you it just got to have the right... got to have the right people yes. behind you. You got to have the right treatment. Yes. Which, back in the 18, 1900s... Oh boy. They didn't know shit about shit. No, they didn't. They, I mean, when you told me you were doing this, I think I told you the first thing that I said was something along the means of, well, I mean, if you were a woman and God forbid you talked back, then, you know, that's when they were going to do a lobotomy, which I'm sure we're going to get on that topic. Oh, yes. But, you know, as I had described it, it was just, you know, let me hold you down and shove an ice pick down your, or, you know, with a hammer or, you know, through your eyeball and just, you know, try to cut off a piece of your brain. You'll be fine. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is going <laughs> to fix everything. Like, you're crazy. Now, they would call people crazy for all kinds of things. Yes. What are some of the most insane you remember? Um, well, I completely forgot about some of this until, you know, I was just refreshing my memory and just, in fact, just regarding the fact that women have periods, let's talk about that for a second. Yes. God forbid you have a cramp or a mood swing and you're remotely just raise your voice just a slight little, you know, like octave and it's instantly off to the sane asylum you go and we're just going to cut off your clitoris. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or masturbation in general. That, that, yes. If you were caught masturbating, that was it. You're fucking lunatic. <laughs> and, you know, people such as, you know, talking about Nellie, you know, how independent she was and how she tried to advocate for herself, that would get you put in there because of hysteria. Just and critical thinking. Critical thinking. Freedom and of thinking. If you read, if a yes. woman reads. Yes, that's one of the ones on here actually is novel reading. Yes, I was like, I'm trying to think of like the terminology that they use for some of them because I know there was something about uh, like menstrual something, you know, that causing there it's menstrual deranged. That's it. Thank yes. you. I was like, I knew it was menstrual something, menstrual deranged, and novel reading, like yes, <laughs> overaction of the mind, overstudy of religion. Yes, there's a few of them on here that are really good. Uh, political excitement. Religious enthusiasm. Asthma. Asthma? Yeah, yeah, you're fucked if you got asthma, I guess. <laughs> congestion of the brain. What the fuck is congestion I'm of the brain? I'm gonna ask that. What 
That's what happened to me. <laughs> yeah, so, some of these kind of make sense. Like, death of your sons in the war. Like, I could understand going there for a short time. Yeah. To be able to cope. For sure. But once you went into one of these asylums. You're not getting out. Yeah, there's, there's an over 80% chance you would never leave. Because the only way you could get out was if your husband gave permission for you to get out. And most of the time, you know, say for instance, you're married and you're in a relationship with somebody that you fucking hate and you can't really say anything to them because if you do, it's going to send you to the mental hospital. And then on top of that, say he just wants to drink with the boys and have his occasional girlfriends on the side and he looks at you because you're getting in his way. All I got to say is this bitch is fucking nuts. I'm sitting around. That's it. And you're out the door. There's nothing you can say. Like. What? Which is funny. I will touch on that a little bit. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. So, in these mental hospitals, they they really didn't know how to help people. No. They just kind of had a basic plan of keeping them all together, fed, I guess you could say, medicated to where they weren't a bother. Mm-hmm. And either they were just crazy and never getting out or they would die. That yes. was pretty much it. They did all kinds of horrible experimentations with these people. They yes. they treated them like prisoners. I mean, this this was before electroshock therapy mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you were talking about the lobotomy mm-hmm. being one of the practices they used, and, and that was legit. There's still people to this day that have had lobotomies that are still living, and you can still get a lobotomy, but it's extremely rare. I know there was this one guy who is still living and he functions normal. He had a lobotomy when he was a kid because he, I think he his anger or something. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he ended up living his life pretty normal. He doesn't have any anger problems or whatever, but... It probably it, doesn't it's have still, any emotions, period. Yeah, it's still... Fu- you can tell it fucks with him. You know, and then there are others like Rosemary Kennedy. You want to tell that one? <laughs> I'm getting my face. Yeah. This is one of the most popular lobotomy stories. Bless her heart. I mean, well, first of all, the reason why she got in there was because, I mean, and I I did fact check myself and technically, which I will, well, sorry, before I even get into that, I don't know if you knew this, but when she was born, the doctor was running late. And so he told the nurse to literally hold Rose, her mom's legs shut as Rosemary was trying to be born. And so, um, they, they forced the baby to stay in the womb longer. Yes. And they also held her head until the doctor got there, which deprived her of it. I was supposed to say energy, oxygen, Oxygen, (laughs) energy too, but you know, deprived her oxygen, her brain of oxygen, right? which, you know, led to delays within itself. But now I, I mean, I may be wrong, but I still stand that she would now modern day like diagnoses, which of course, you know, I don't have my master's yet, so I can't check off on that. But, you know. (laughs) But you have a background, a good background. Yes, I am educated. (laughs) But, I mean, I would say that she is probably on the autism spectrum. That's what I would assume. Because, you know, she was delayed with all her milestones in terms of walking, talking, and doing all the things. But appearance, you know, which, of course, another tangent, just because you have autism doesn't make you look different, you know. Not necessarily. But, you know, she fit in but when she would go to talk or write that's when the delays were prominent so the kennedys were able to 
bring her around to other things, you know, just to have her there at social events and everything. But, but not like people get too close. Yes. Because her father had, I can't remember what the position was that he was given when uh, it was in Britain. And so they moved there and there was tradition that all the single eligible women or girls got to go to what they called the court and meet all the eligible men. And so Rosemary was a part of that. And right after that, she started, these are, you know, not my really my words, having fits air quotations of anger um, because she was wanting to be more independent because they allowed her to, you know, do that. Right. So that led to more things. And then as she became a teenager, they ended up moving back to the States because of her behaviors. Which I've got a teenager now and I'll tell you, that's already not easy. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not. But she started basically being promiscuous because they were starting to like put her in different schools. So she was in a Catholic school system. And the first Catholic school that she was in um, used like a certain method where she was able to do hands-on things to learn. And so she was able to pick up well. And then something happened to where she was no longer able to go there. So she ended up going to another Catholic school. And it was more very restricted, very different than what she was doing. And so she would sneak out and run away and go meet boys at a bar. And it's rumored that she had sex with them. But I mean, I mean, off power to her, you know. Is the preacher's daughter usually the word? (laughs) I mean, you're constricted so much. Exactly. You're always under a microscope. And so... The Bush twins... (laughs) <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't really Are know. Are they twins or no, just the daughters? They're just sisters. Okay, the Bush daughters. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, it was frowned upon. And then on top of that, you know, like I said, she had mental delays or, you know, just all around just educational delays too. And so the Kennedys started trying to hide her because she came more of a... Public nuisance. Thank almost. you. I was like, yeah. what's the word I'm looking for? Um, And so... They sent her away to another school where she was, um, sorry, they sent her away to a hospital that time. So in 1948, her parents, well, more or less her mother, had met a Swedish psychiatrist because they were trying to just, like, look for help for Rosemary. And he had suggested that his daughter had had a lobotomy and it helped, but his daughter was different. And so her mom was completely against it because she was kind of like, you said that your daughter is different and I don't want to change her. And her father, though, was more or less like, I don't really give a shit. I want her to tone it down. And so I don't want to be bothered with it, basically. Oh, because of, you know, the image that it was portraying. And so he more or less kind of went behind her mom's back and gave the okay on the lobotomy. That's pretty fucked up. Rose claims that she did not know where Rosemary went. He just kind of sent her off and gave the okay for the lobotomy. And that's when everything happened. And so when Rosemary had the procedure, they kept her awake and they gave... Which was a common practice with the ice pick lobotomy. Yes. And I mean, they had given her some painkillers... Just to kind of help, like, give her to where she didn't really feel anything. Um, But they had her reading poems so they could just kind of, like, see kind of where... Make sure they didn't cut the wrong area. Yes. Poke around the wrong area. Yes. And so when she quit talking, that's when they knew that they had hit the correct area. And which to me, 
is so fucked up. Because, that is pretty fucked up. I mean, it's kind of like, I'm just going to go ahead and just keep going to where you can't talk. Oh, you shut up. All right, bet we hit the right spot. Like, yeah. what? And so, after the lobotomy, she was never able to talk by her, like, completely really talk or walk. She had the mental capacity of, like, a five-year-old, didn't she? Mm-hmm. And she was 23 whenever she was admitted into the oh, hospital. that is so sad. And she was actually, it, it took her 20 years to really, like, because, oh, sorry, let me rephrase that. She was there at the hospital, like, quote, recovering for 20 years and didn't see any of her family members because nobody knew where the hell she was. And they didn't know that, you know, this had really happened. So whenever they saw her, they were like, this is not Rosemary. This is not her. Or actually, her sister used to call her Rosie. Or one of her sisters used to call her Rosie. But, you know, she was basically saying she's not Rosie anymore. Yeah. Which is heartbreaking because you can say that the, the, the siblings and the mom obviously cared for her. Which I'm not saying that her dad didn't care. Yeah, but it just wasn't. He, she hindered the process of her two brothers getting on the, what's the word I'm looking for? Politics. Um, oh, yeah. Climbing the big, ladder yeah. with, you know, trying to get the images with that. And so we can't have her there because she's a blip in the system and she's... Yeah. You know, she might act out. Yeah. Yes. And so she literally didn't see her mom for 20 years. And it was rumored that whenever she did see her mom, she tried to attack her. But actually, her mom didn't find out where she was until her dad had a struggle pass away. Holy shit. And that wasn't until 1962. The stroke happened in 1961, but 1962 is when her mom finally saw her again. Yes, she was never able to really do anything. She wasn't able to walk talk independently anymore but i will say brighter things came from this because one of her sisters actually i don't know if you knew this or not i didn't until i looked this up her sister started to you know after all this stuff happened started to advocate for kids who were on the spectrum which you know i say that now yeah you know yeah which then i didn't know it was mental retardation yeah i'm you know well I actually, my mom told me a story one time. She used to work with people, you know, that needed help, like mm-hmm. assisted living type thing. She would take them out and everything mm-hmm. on day trips or whatever. And uh, some guy called himself a retard, and she said, yeah, that's not very nice to, to say that about yourself. It's not a very nice word. And he was like, well, what's the definition of a retard? What does it mean to be retarded? To be held back. That's the definition, so... He was trying to take the power back of the word. So I'm I'm not as careful about saying some something like that after hearing someone say, you know, like that's me taking my power back. Yes. But I do get what you're saying. And so I mean well, I mean, like I said, I just used that for just formalities, but Yeah. Well, you're in a different boat too. Yes. You professionally gotta watch yourself. (laughs) Yes, I do. Um, but her sister started, you know, doing kind of like hands-on things and activities with kids who were on the spectrum, which actually, fun fact, now led to the Special Olympics. Oh. And then her nephew created the, I forgot what it's called. It's kind of like the big brother, big sister, but it's like buddies. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, to advocate for special needs kids. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. Of course, John F. Kennedy, he was able to make, you know, s- stuff in the legislation to have, to advocate for rights for spe- uh, special needs children. So it fucked up her life, but a lot of good did come out of it. Yes. Still sad for her. It's, it's very unfortunate. I mean, you know, to kind of think that they all advocated for her and wanted her home 
And the because of the time period and kind of how things were, it was easier to just hide somebody than it was to, you know, more or less try to embrace it. Yeah. And just learn to deal with it. And so... Learn how to cope with each other. Yes. And, but I mean, like I said, I thought that was neat that such a horrible thing did lead to something really good, at least, you know, for our current times. And I will say, like, to look at pictures of her, she was freaking gorgeous. She was. She was. And she actually didn't die until 2005. I, I was like, I couldn't remember. Yeah, she did. She lived a pretty decently long life. Yes. Especially in that condition. She did. Uh, she died January 7th, 2005 at a hospital, Fort Memorial Hospital in Fort Atkinson, uh, Wisconsin. So now we got a little bit about how fucked up mental institutions were and how easy it was to get in there. Now that I want my TED Talk ramp. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and how hard it is to leave once you get in. Yes. Near to impossible. Near to impossible. So this crazy bitch at 23 years old <laughs> said, yes. I will do that. So again, she she said that she she had to convince them herself that she was crazy, not to use some doctor that they could trace back and and realize that she is reporting. I mean, technically, all she's got to do is really be herself and voice her yeah. views, and that's yeah, well, a one way ticket on there. Center, center, sister. She, she had a pretty <laughs> fucking good plan. She just went out to this uh, area that she knew that there was a temporary home for working women mm-hmm. that she could go get room and board at. And she only took enough money with her, like, I don't know, 70 or 80 cents or something. And she she took that money with her and she went to this place and was like, oh, you know, can I stay here just for the night? You know, offered to pay and for like 30 cents or some shit. They said, okay, yeah. 30 cents. Yeah, well, you know, different time. <laughs> but you got to remember, this is a temporary home for working women. Mm-hmm. All the women there do work. Yes. So her plan was to come in here and act crazy. So there would be witnesses. So, so they would be the ones to say, she's crazy, she needs to go off to the asylum. I see where this is going. Yeah. Okay. So she had a good idea. So she goes off to this place, and as she's there, she she talks about how all the people around her, like all the ladies, look like they're they're crazy. Like she's scared of them. They just look crazy. All the women at the temporary home, or all the te- at the temporary okay. home, yes. And the the head lady in charge or whatever, she came up and asked her like, what kind of work she had done before, and she was like, oh, <laughs> work? Yeah, I don't work. <laughs> You know, like, she's like, oh, no, it's sad that so many people have to work and all this other stuff. Like, she's just blowing it off. Like, no, there's, I ain't working. Like, who are you? And, of course, to them, it made her start to seem like she was crazy. Yeah. Then, on top of that, she was talking about how there are so many crazy people in the world. And she was scared of all the ladies around her. So, they were like, okay, this bitch is a little psycho. Like, there's something wrong with I her. I see where this is going. So, finally, whenever it came to, like, uh, time for them to go to bed, she was like, oh, no, no, I'll, I'll just sit over there on the stair. And they were like, no, like, people will think you're mad. No way. So, they were like, no, you have to go to bed. So, she went to the bed, and she just 
stared the entire night into nothingness. The determination. Yes. And the willpower. Severe to, determination. And commitment, I should say, to pull that off. Because yes. I'm just sitting there thinking, like, I know my ass. I'd be like, oh, they ain't looking. Let me just try to take, like, a nap right now. Like, you know. <laughs> so, so during this time... Like, throughout this whole day and stuff, she'd kind of just been like, oh, you know, my trunks are lost. Like, her luggage trunks. Uh-huh. Help me find my trunks. You know, they, I guess they were left on the ferry or whatever. Like, basically, kind of like, she shouldn't be here. Like, she is a foreigner or something. Okay. Now, remember, she spent that time in Mexico. Yes. So. She does have, you she, know. She knows a little bit. Eventually, after... The whole night scaring the ladies and them all thinking that, okay, there's something wrong with this this lady. She's talking about how everyone's crazy. She's, like, hearing voices and that there's something wrong. Like, you need to take her to the courthouse. So they called the police. And they took her to the courthouse. And she acted like she didn't know who she was. She acted like she didn't know who her family was, where she was from. She even acted like she didn't stay in that house last night. Wow. Like, she was okay. committed. <laughs> uh, the only thing she acted like she knew was her name. And she went by Nellie Brown. Okay. Nellie Brown. Nellie Brown. Whenever they they had asked her, you know, like, I know you stayed in that house last night. You paid for it. She she was, again, just, like, appalled. Like, I wouldn't stay somewhere like that. What is wrong with you? Like, No. I wouldn't do that. The judge finally was like, you know, I, I feel sorry for this lady. Like, she's really well-dressed. She didn't think about that. Okay. <laughs> but she was really well-dressed. And he's like, she must belong to someone. Here we go with men again. Right. But she must belong to someone. Like, he felt really bad for her and reminded her, reminded him of his sister that had passed. She even mentions in her book that she felt bad for it. Like... She, she didn't want to affect anyone in any way like that. Right, she didn't plan to trigger him, but he yeah. subconsciously had countertransference. Said that he was actually a kind soul and wished that more people were like him. Uh, eventually, he was like, you know, hey, let, let's bring some reporters in and see if anyone knows her. And she was like, oh, shit, they're going to find out who I am. Um, I'm a reporter. Like, yes. They know me. blow up my whole entire story. So she was like, oh, no, 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 I don't want anyone to see me and all this other stuff. She ended up finally getting the judge to say, okay, we're just going to have to send you to the hospital for evaluation, take you to Blackwell Island, you know, take good care of her. They were telling, he was telling them to take good care of her. Okay. Oh, that went out the fucking window. Uh, so I said, okay. <laughs> She made it first to the hospital before going into Blackwell Island where they just like shoved them around like cattle and like pulled on their hair to move them around and jerked on like rude. This is the beginning of it. Then she gets into Blackwell Island after she travels across on the ferry because it's legit an island. A little something about Blackwell Island. In 1928, New York City actually purchased the island in East River from the Blackwell family, which is where it gets its name, so they could build a jail and an asylum. So, two buildings here. Jail and asylum. Okay, because I was asking, I was yeah. thinking, I was like, is this one whole thing? Okay. Yeah, so uh, this was actually mainly to accompany the super explosive growth that was happening in New York at the time. It was bringing in a lot of the underclass of convicts, poor, sick, 
insane. People that just didn't want to deal with other people. You know, so Blackwell Island was New York's first publicly funded hospital in the U.S. It opened in 1839. And it was actually designed to be a state-of-the-art institution based on the theories of moral treatment. Okay. That didn't fucking happen. I was going to say, I'm already picking up the bullshit. (laughs) Well... First of all, it started out that it didn't become this, like, six-wing building that it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. There were two fucking wings, and it was way overcrowded, way understaffed. They ran out of funds. So, you know, like everything else, fuck it. We'll just make it happen. Kind of like the jail systems now. Have you heard about all the deaths recently in the jail systems? No, but I'm not surprised. I mean, you'll talk about that later off camera or off mic, and uh, that's definitely an episode I want to touch on eventually. But once she actually got there, she decided that she was no longer going to act like she was crazy. She was going to act normal, just like she would every day. Okay. So the only thing that was going to be different was she was going to go by the name Nellie Brown and not know where she was from. That's it. Okay. But she wasn't going to act crazy like she heard voices and shit anymore. And once she got there, she mentioned how deplorable the treatment was they had to endure. And the first night, they told her to undress and to get in this cold bath of dirty water. Like, they used the same fucking water for everyone. Yes. And it was cold as fuck. And you got to remember this. I don't think I told you earlier, but this is like in September. So it's cold in New York in September. Yes, it is. So they they tell her to get in this water and undress. And she's like, no, like all these other patients are around. I'm not going to undress in front of them. I'm not going to take my clothes off. So they ripped them the fuck off of her. Like they undressed her. And then they picked her up and put her in that cold, nasty ass water. So she's, she's freezing and just like, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Please don't undress me. Please don't put me in this water. It's cold. It's ice cold, right? So, they wash her or whatever, I guess you could call it. And then she's like, please don't get my hair wet. And they grab this bu- this pitcher of water and just dumped ice cold water all over her head. So, once they get her done and everything, they pull her out. They dry her off real quick with the same towel they dry everybody off oh with. Oh, my God. And then throw this little, like, jumper thing on. It's like this piece of cloth that just... Like, like no sleeves on it. Like scrubs, I'm assuming. No, not or, even. And, like I just mean like it's thin just like how scrubs are. It's almost like a nightgown, like a cheap ass nightgown, like a long t-shirt. Mm-hmm. No sleeves. Real worn out, cotton, dirty, stained, nasty. It. That's what they put on her. And then they went to go throw the next person in, who was acting the same way. She didn't want to be put in that water either. And she was like, look, I'm sick. Like, I can't be in cold, wet water. Like, I can't do it. I've got a chest cold. They didn't give a fuck. They put her in there anyway. And Nellie was like, did you not hear her? She's sick. She can't be put in cold water. And next thing you know, she's shoved out the door by someone else. And she's taken off to her own room in solitary. Oh, God. So they put her in this fucking room. And there's, it's just like, it's like solitary in, in jail, basically. There's bars on the window. There's a big lock on the door. They lock each door, you know. The bed's uncomfortable as fuck. I'm sure. And she says, can I have a gown? I don't like to sleep without a gown. And they're like, no, like, this is what you get. Like, this is it. And she was talking about how she was cold and wet. And the nurse said, well, this is charity. You shouldn't expect anything like that. 
She was like, wait a second. I thought the city of New York paid for the care of the unfortunate and for y'all to be kind to them. And she was like, well, you know, you shouldn't expect any kindness here. And that was it. Like, they left her just freezing there. And, like, the, the blankets, I believe, had holes all in it. Like, they, they weren't warm. They weren't warm. It was cold as fuck. This is terrible. Yeah. She reported that they brought her an opium mixture to drink to help her go to sleep, and she refused to drink it. I don't blame her. I don't don't blame her either. So the doctor came in and said that, well, I ordered you to take this medicine. This is your medicine. You need it to get better. And she's like, I'm not going to take that. I don't want it. I want to keep my wits about me. I thought about Sarah Boone whenever. (laughs) (laughs) But no, she really, she, she, I wouldn't want to go. Uh, well, For either. two seconds without thinking straight in a place like that. I agree. So because I don't, all, all I don't the, blame her. All the things that could happen yes. to you. and So I, he was like, you know what? You're not going to drink it? I'll put it in a needle and I'll put it in your arm. Oh my God. And she's like, oh shit. Like, what do I do now? She's like, okay, okay. I'll drink it. Because at least if she drinks it, as soon as they walk out of the room, she can, spit it out. She can try to throw it up. And as soon as they walked out of that room, in her book, it said that she put her fingers down her throat further than she ever had. So she did throw a lot of it up. It doesn't say if it took any effect or not. But yeah. Wow. So they are absolutely forcing drugs on them at this point. And you got to remember, there's no reason for them to think she's crazy at this point. Because she's already there. So Now she's just outspoken. So... One of the biggest things that she reported on in the hospital was the food. Food was fucking awful. They would get, like, a cold boiled potato and cold tea. And I'm sure it's not some sweet tea or something, you know. Bread that they would get would be, like, hard and black. Like, it was just awful food. It was completely inedible. It was rancid. There was no spices or anything. Not even a little touch of salt. Nothing. Because at that time, in mental hospitals, they thought that spices mm-hmm. would cause people to act out. For the first couple of days, she didn't eat at all. Like, she, even trying to eat, she could not eat. I feel that. And it, it just, she couldn't do it. She would talk about how cold it was. All the patients would talk about how cold it was. And she was actually told that it was a rule at the institution that they were not allowed to turn the heat on until October. Now, what kind of fucking institution is going to be like, eh, I don't care if you freeze? I mean, <laughs> the way they, were, they were just told to deal with the cold and that they weren't going to get any extra clothes. And I mean, they don't have any real clothes on for the cold anyway. I'm wondering how many people got sick. That's- well, probably quite a few. I know some of them got sick and died there. That's, that is terrible. In fact, it was so bad that all through the night she could hear other people screaming. And one of the ladies was just screaming, praying for death, just wishing death would come take her. Oh, like that's miserable. just some awful shit to wish that you were dead just so you would be out of your misery. That is yes. just terrible. Yes, and a lot of these women that would go in here were not insane going in. That is a really big point too. True, I can. See and that. I encourage every one of you to read her book. It's called Ten Days in a Madhouse by Nellie Bly. There's movies on it. I'm going to talk about it at the end. There's so much information, and there are so many people that went in there that were absolutely sane that ended up losing their fucking mind in there because of the treatment. I can see it. 
the nurses would actually use the patients to play jokes on each other and just use the patients at their disposal for their own entertainment. They're not your pawns. No, they're not. They're living, breathing human beings with fucking fillings. They they would pick on one lady who had actually had an accident at uh, some kind of factory whenever she was like 14. And they would sit there and be like, oh, the doctor said you're 26. And she'd be like, oh, no, I'm 14. Oh, well, the doctor said you were 26. You're actually 26. And she'd be like, no, I'm, they, they must have lied. I'm 14. And then they'd come up and smack her on the side of the head and be like, no, when you were 14, you had an accident at the factory and bumped your head. And now you're in a crazy house. You're in an asylum. And she'd be like, no, no, like you're lying. I'm on break. Like, you know, like she really thought she was still at work. Bless her heart. And they'd sit there and make fun of her until she finally snapped and started like slapping them away from her and shit. Yeah. And then that gave them a chance to get violent with her. Because she reacted. Because she reacted. Which I know several people like that still to this day. I hate when people act like that. That's just selfish shit. Like, fuck off, man. And that's just the story of one lady. That that's that's just one. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, you know, I've already told you they would pull the patients by the hair and shit. They would pull their hair out, leaving bald spots in them where hair just wouldn't grow back. They'd pull them by the ears. They were constantly getting abused some way or another. Like they had to sit up on these hardback chairs. They weren't allowed to slouch. They weren't allowed to lay down. They weren't allowed to get up and walk around. They just had to sit there. They couldn't do shit all day long. That's all they could do. Sit there. They couldn't talk. Nothing. Literally just sit there and stare just at each other. Just sit there and stare at each other and get picked on by the fucking staff. That's about it. I'd be taking one of them chairs and ramming it up somebody's ass. I remember uh, <laughs> one of the stories that she had wrote about was about an elderly lady who just, I mean, she was elderly and sick. She needed to lay down. And whenever she would try to lay down, they would tell her no, make her sit up. And she couldn't think straight. So whenever she would try to get up and start to walk off to where she could go lay down, Mm -hmm. they would let her get a little ways and then they'd go drag her back and throw her on the bench and make her sit down. Let her do it again. Yeah, like some serious torture shit. Uh, There was one lady in there. The only reason she was in there was because she caught her husband with the chambermaid. Remember what we were talking about? (laughs) Yes. We caught him with the chambermaid, right? You're busted. Like, you're you're committing adultery. No. No. Because he had her committed first. Before she could scream it. Before she could do something. He, he had her committed. And, of course, you know, Nellie, while, over, while she was in there, she was like, well, have you told the doctors about it? Like, surely you've it told the doctors matter. about it. She said, yeah, I've told them. They said that it's just irrational thinking i'm delusional they're delusional thoughts exactly because he said it because he said it was you know that validates everything one of the biggest things about this book that that really kind of struck a nerve for me was there were bars on the windows and each door was locked individually with up to 10 women in a room right i've already told you a little bit about the bars and windows and stuff so Oftentimes, she would lie awake at night, and she would just wonder what would happen if a fire broke out. Escape would be impossible. There's no way. So, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So she actually brought it up to one of the doctors, one of her doctors. 
And she's like, you know, like, there's bars on the windows, there's a lock on every door that has to be individually unlocked, like, we're fine. We're, we're done. He said, well, the, the staff and nurses are trained to let everyone out in that case. Oh, yeah, you really And she's like, fucked. yeah, no, that, that's not gonna happen. Like, they're, they're not gonna fucking do that. They're gonna dip. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of like, I know, like, he, he's like, I know, but my hands are tied. Like, what do I do? I can't do anything. And she was like, well, what about one of those crank mechanisms that they have that, you know, you, you can turn it and all the doors will unlock or lock yeah. on one side? Yeah. And he's like, where in the fuck have you seen that at? And of course, she's like, oh shit, they're going to know I come from money or something. Like, I'm a little, I know more than I think, more That's than they think. Yeah. yeah. She was like, oh, you know, I've just seen it. And he's like, well, the only place I've ever seen that was in Sing Sing. So he's thinking that this bitch done been in prison somewhere. She's only 23 at this time. Come on, man. So he's like, you know, they only have those in Sing Sing. She's like, look, I assure you, I've never been institutionalized there. I've never even been a visitor. I've just seen it before. Yeah. And he's like, "Mm, okay, okay. Be quiet. (laughs) So finally, this this stuff just kind of keeps going on throughout it's just the same thing throughout her 10 days and eventually i i don't know for sure if it was the publisher but a lawyer came and he was like hey you know i can take miss brown i've got some friends that can take care of her you know whatever he can to try to get her out of the institution she ended up getting to go with him and she was starving and exhausted by this point like, I, she was not doing good. I just had, like, whenever you said 10 days, I'm sitting there thinking, that's a lot of shit to happen in 10 days. And whenever she came out, she asked the lawyer how long she'd been in there. And he's like, you don't know? You were in there for 10 days. She had no idea. I'm sure those 10 days it felt was like torture. 10 months. It was torture. Of course, she gets out and... First thing she does is start writing about it. She gets the grand jury involved in it. She's got all kinds of investigations. She gets a lot of shit proven there. She ultimately got the place shut down about seven years later. Seven it, years. It took, it took time, but they did change things immediately, but they couldn't keep it going right. So that, along with the bad stigma it already had around it, mm-hmm. There was no fixing it. They were just like, we got to shut it down. We're done. So ultimately, she did get it shut down. That's not the end of her shit. She's even better. Of course. Yeah. Like, this woman is fucking amazing. And not that many people know about her. So after she got done with all this, she went back to the paper and she was like, well, you know, they've done the around the world in 80 days. I'll do that faster than that. I, I want to actually do the Around the World in 80 Days. I'll do it in 75. And they were like, ah, oh, well, we already got a man to do that. And, you know, we get a man to do it. We don't have to worry about him having an escort with him. So, yeah, we're just going to have him do it. And she's like, all right, bet. I'll go to another newspaper and I'll do it for them and I'll do it faster. I'll beat him. They were like, oh, shit, oh, shit, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> so they ended up saying, all right, we'll, we'll let you do it. So she ended up completing the trip in 72 days, 6 hours, 11 minutes, and 14 seconds, which set a real-world record 
despite it being a fictional thing that she was doing. Mm-hmm. It was a real world record. And it wasn't beaten until 1890 by some dude who finished trip in 67 days. But let, let's take that to the side for a second. This, this is a time when women did not travel alone. Yes. And she did this shit in 72 days? I mean, all I can say is she's like a bad bitch. Like, she is the bad bitch. <laughs> she really is. In 1895, she married a millionaire industrialist, Robert Seaman, who was... It gets, it gets better. It gets better. He was 40 years older than her. Okay. So, 40 years old, Mr. Robert Seaman. Seaman. 40 years older than her, Mr. Robert Seaman. Um, I really couldn't find anything about that, but I would assume there had to be some love there. I I really do. I'm, I agree. To, to, to be that independent and, you know. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. I, I can then, see that. I mean, some dude, people. He's a millionaire. Right. But she don't need, she, she don't, don't need no man. Right. For nothing. Facts. Okay. So, I, I really think there might have been some kind of love there, even with that huge age gap. Well, but she, maybe he had an understanding of her. That's what I was about to say. I think it probably took somebody being, like, literally that much older than her. Yeah. In order for her to find some type of common ground with him. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense to me. Well, unfortunately, soon after they got married, she ended up having to retire from journalism because he got really sick. Although, it is reported that they had a very happy marriage. Good. Again, I think they were really happy together. So, she ended up retiring from journalism because she ended up having to take over his business. Okay. Which, he had the Ironclad Manufacturing Company, and he died in 1904. So, it was like nine years after they got married. She had to take the shit over. And she began manufacturing the first practical 55-gallon steel oil drum, which is actually evolved it evolved into. I mean, it's not identical, but it's still the same one we use today. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and while in charge of the company, she, she put her social reforms into action by giving the employees several perks that were just completely unheard of at the time. And honestly, still kind of are. Um, fitness gyms, libraries, healthcare, like library. You had me a library. Yeah, like they really took care of these people. That's amazing. Yeah. Ultimately, the cost of these benefits kind of drained her inheritance, but you know, she she cared about people. Yeah. Even after all the shit she'd been through, she still cared about people. So, since all of her money's kind of going down from sinking it into caring about other people, she ended up re-entering the, the newspaper industry. And she began to work for the New York Evening Journal in 1920 and reported on numerous events, including the growing, the growing woman suffrage movement. Of course. Alright, so I told you that she was doing the 55-gallon uh, steel drum. Mm-hmm. She didn't get the credit for that patent. Of course, you know, whatever. Right. However, she did get the credit for the the novel Milk Can. She also got the U.S. patent for stacking garbage cans. Really? Yes. Uh, she was one of the leading women industrialists in the United States. That's That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, my question is, though, 
She did a lot for our history. So why the fuck is she not talked about? That's a really good question. And unfortunately, she ended up dying of pneumonia, of all things, in 1922. January 27, 1922. Um, she did a lot with her life. It may have taken her almost a hundred years, but in 1998, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. As she should be. Yes, absolutely. She was one of four journalists honored with the U.S. postage stamp in women in journalism in 2002. Neat. Yep. And in 2019, the Roosevelt Island Operating Corporation put out an open call for artists to create a Nellie Bly Memorial art installation on Roosevelt Island, which is where Blackwell Island used to be. It's now called Roosevelt Island. Wow. Yeah. And the winning proposal, The Girl Puzzle by Amanda Matthews, was announced October 16, 2019. It opened to the public December 2021. I'll put a picture of that on social How media. cool. Yeah. So, of course, not only that, like I said, she she wrote a book about her 10 days in the madhouse. Mm-hmm. I've listened to it on audiobook because I didn't have time to read it personally. Tina listened to it twice. That's that good. You should listen to it. It's by her, Nellie Bly. Okay. As she uses her pen name. It's really, really good. If you listen to it on, uh, they've, they've actually got it on YouTube for free. Uh, it's only about, it's less than three hours. Okay. I believe. Four hours. Yeah, so it's, it's about three hours. It's not too bad. And there's actually three movies that I found out on it. One of them I have not seen. It was from 1981. It's called The Adventures of Nellie Bly. I wish I could have found it, but I couldn't find it to watch it and say anything about it. The first one that I found was the 2019 movie, Escaping the Madhouse, the Nellie Bly story. You can find that on YouTube and Hulu. Okay. I really liked it, and it got me interested in Nellie Bly until I read the book, or listened to the book. Yeah. They really went theatrical with it. Okay. If you don't know anything, it's really good. It's a really good storyline, and I'm not saying that it's not something that could have happened. Right. But it's not what she reported in her book. If you want something more accurate to the book, one that I actually found on YouTube, and that's the only place I could find it right now, it was released in 2015, and it's just called 10 Days in a Madhouse. It's almost verbatim for the book. Okay. It's it's really good. I was really impressed with it. The acting's actually not bad or anything. Uh, it's, it's very watchable, and it would be just about like listening to the book. Okay. So, I definitely suggest y'all check that out. I just, again, like I said, I'm just shocked that nobody really talks about her. Like I have never heard of her. And really, she is the first woman journalist to go into investigative reporting like she did. That's really cool. Yeah. She made big waves for women. She's paved the way for everybody else. Absolutely. And for just rights in general. Right. I mean, it wasn't just women. Don't think that. For sure. I mean, anyone in a mental hospital would be glad that she reported her findings. Yeah. Women or not. For sure, yeah. Because, I mean, I think mental health-wise, 
she helped kind of like bring attention to it more. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there were reports at the time. There were reports of these things happening, but they'd be like, oh, yeah, this is happening. We're going to go investigate. And by the time they get over to investigate, yeah, they covered everything. That shit still goes on today. I've seen it not just in healthcare, but hell, even factories, food service. Mm -hmm. I've been at places that... Oh, the health inspector's coming. We got to cover this. Like, why? Why are you having to cover shit? Why can't you just do it right all the time? Right. Money. It comes down to money. It always comes down to money and laziness. Mm, Yes, it does. (laughs) But. I had to filter myself for a minute. No, go ahead. Don't don't filter yourself. That's why we do this. We're some of the most unfiltered motherfuckers. (laughs) I was thinking about that earlier. I was like, you know, it really kind of gets on my nerves because I'm hearing these people now talk about S.A. And I'm like, when the fuck is S.A.? And then I'll be like, oh, sexual assault. Uh-huh. It's rape. Call it what the fuck it is. It sounds nasty because it's nasty. Look, you ain't going to slap someone hard as fuck and be like, oh, I just gave him a little love tap. <laughs> no, you're going to say I slapped the shit out of him. Slapped the shit. Okay? Like, call it what it is. <laughs> It's known as a bad word because it's a bad thing. <laughs> Very true. I, I'm sorry. That's my feelings on it. If if you want to try to sway me differently, I'm open to listening to you. I am open-minded. I will definitely try to see your viewpoint, but I call it like it is. I can't argue with that because you're right. I mean, that's I, I agree. I, and that's why whenever, you know, I do reports on certain things, I don't really say, you know, essay or sometimes occasionally I'll throw in the little sexual assault here you know oh, yeah there. but i mean like most of the time like i even say that and then you know but when we post Man. on social media i'm like trigger warning for you know i was i was listening to something on youtube the other day and it blurred out the word stab stab and murder i was like the fuck you can't say you stabbed and murdered someone on youtube <laughs> Call it like it is. We'll never Call make it, like it to it YouTube. <laughs> no. Nah. Uh, if we get on YouTube, they're going to hit demonetize as soon as they see our name. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but I guess that's about all I got. I've, I've had a rough week. We've been trying to catch up with our week off. So I've been busting ass and then they pulled me to a different section. So I had to bust ass even more. I feel that. That's kind of why I'm not really. I mean, I'm looking forward to going back. Because of the Independence Park, but I'm not looking forward to all the ketchup and all the shit that I missed. Yeah, you're going to have a lot to catch up. You've been out of work, what, two months now? It'll be a All month. in all? Well. No, because you started calling out whenever you started getting sick. I was on vacation. Oh, that's right. That's right. It just was perfect timing. So when did your vacation start? It was, what, the week before Thanksgiving? Mm-hmm. So you... The week yeah. of Thanksgiving. Man, you've been down for a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I really have. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. I well, just, yeah. So, you know, it is what it is. But it's okay. Well, since we're over at your house so you can get a little bit of freedom for a minute, I guess we'll go ahead and cut this short so we can play around with your cats over here. They've been neglected. Neglected my ass. Little Mo over here said he hasn't been pet in like five years. <laughs> He's just... <laughs> <laughs> Come here, Mo. He's just looking at me like, please pick me you up. Please say love something. Me. <laughs> he was meowing earlier. Well, I guess that's about <laughs> it. I guess we're going to get off of here and love on your cats because now Mo wants all the attention. Uh-huh. I can't even do anything. He's hugging me so tight. He's an attention whore. He is. 
He's so sweet. Oh, oh, you did. Oh, never mind. You already told me. Sorry, brain damage. <laughs> I was like, you were supposed to tell me something about somebody recommending stories. But then I'm like, oh, never mind. You already told me. I already told you all the story recommendations. Let's go back an hour. You can hear those again. <laughs> all right. Well, obviously, I'm going to get her some help. So... <laughs> Until next time. Maybe I won't hit my head next time. That's what my issue is. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Until next time. See ya. Bye, guys. All research is done by Shelby Hudgens, Courtney Pylon, and Tina Collins. A special thanks to Tina Collins for managing us, and we are a lot to manage. All social media is linked in the description below. Be sure to follow us. And don't forget to leave a rating on wherever you get your podcast. If you have an interesting topic that you'd like to hear on our podcast, please email it to allthingsmacabre.pod at gmail.com. That's M-A-C-A-B-R-E. Did this episode make you say, What the fuck?